We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today, we're serving up a beastly story that will devour your attention and fascination. I'm your hostess, Emily, and with me are the bodacious and bold Ashley and Lindsay. Hi. I feel like that works because I, even though you can't see it because I'm in a tiny little window, I'm showing a lot of cleavage right now. Ooh, that is bodacious. (laughs) (laughs) The perks of not having to actually go into an office are I don't have to care (laughs) if anything's sticking out the chin because on a little monitor, you can't see shit. That's true. So you're bodacious, bold, and boobylicious. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. It's hot, hot. Well, I hope that you're feeling ravenous today because this is a big meal. Before we get started, though, I just want to put out a general trigger warning before I serve this up. There are uh, a lot of gruesome deaths that will be discussed, including the deaths of children. So if you're not feeling up to it, it's perfectly okay to skip this meal, except for you two, you're screwed, you're stuck with me. I'm here for it. Just fuck my shit up. It's fine. Let's do it. Like, I've already been through hell this week. Let's just do it. <laughs> Burn me at the stake, baby. <laughs> I was say, should I start saying that before my stories? <laughs> because I haven't been saying that. Just the general trigger. I mean, we have the trigger warning at the beginning, but this one was like, the entire episode is just gore. So, Yay. like, there you can't, like, fast forward 60 seconds because you're just going to land on more gore. <laughs> Let's be honest, I'm gonna end up laughing at something really inappropriate, so you might as well just go ahead, pull up an email, start writing about how much you hate me now, you can fill in the specifics later when you get to that part (laughs) of the episode where I've offended you by laughing. (laughs) Just leave it blank. (laughs) I hated the moment when. Yes, and then fill it in when you get there. It's like an angry Mad Lib. It is. It's perfect. (laughs) The first global war didn't begin with an assassinated archduke in the early 20th century. No, it began in 1754 when a young Brit and future president of the United States ordered his troops to fire on French soldiers near what is now Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And you're probably going, "Mm, I'm pretty sure we're doing the French stories right now. What does this have to do with it? Well... The war, which officially spanned 1756 to 1763, came to be known as the French and Indian War in the U.S. and the Seven Years' War in France, though it was known by several other names depending on the region in which the fighting occurred. So this actually occurred all over Europe. I had no idea. I didn't know that. And India. I didn't know What? Yep. We went to India? We didn't. France and Britain fought in India. Guys... (laughs) Stop! (laughs) Oh my god. This is because the war wasn't just between France and Britain, but rather all of Europe. 
France, Austria, Saxony, Sweden, and Russia formed one alliance, while Prussia, Hanover, and Great Britain formed another. I love the word Prussia. <laughs> <laughs> it's like pretty Russia, Prussia. Oh, I was thinking like King of Prussia, that big mall, because I have a shopping problem. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we do have a King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Get that money. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yep. It's a thing. There's lots of stores there. Yeah, but probably nobody outside of Pennsylvania knows it's there. I guarantee no one else, no one fucking knows. It's fine. <laughs> you do now, because I just told you, you'll forget in 10 seconds. It doesn't matter. I'm a goldfish. Me too. So fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, France lost to Great Britain, and with the signing of the 1763 Treaty of Paris, they'd lost all of their mainland North American territories, along with territories <laughs> in India, Africa, and the Mediterranean island of Menorca. <laughs> oh no! Sucks to be you. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we shouldn't be laughing because uh, the French were a big help to us during our Revolutionary War. Yeah, um, I don't really care. I'm laugh. Listen, if I can't laugh at people for losing territory they fucking stole in the first place, then what can I laugh about? That's fair. Plagues. Yes, I do laugh about those. Not only was this loss a serious blow to the monarchy, but as a result of the war, the country had accrued serious debts. Much... <laughs> I'm sorry. Ashley. I'm eating up this misfortune like it is chocolate, and I am not sorry. I know I said that I was, but I'm not, damn it. Uh, I don't think you'll laugh at this next part. Okay, oh. hit me. Much of the burden of that debt fell upon the shoulders of the common people, as there were tax exemptions and workarounds for the elite. Nothing's really changed, has it? Nope. No. This is because France was still ruled by a system known as the Ancien. <laughs> I put Ancien. <laughs> it's like the ancient regime. I can't say it in French. I'm sorry. Which divided the populace into three groups the clergy, the nobility, and the commoners. Of those, the population with the least power, fewest rights, and highest taxes were the rural peasants. So, way down at the bottom of the, even the commoners. So, I was looking at this at the breakup of it, and guess how much. Of the population, what percentage the nobility made up? One. Yup. Boom. 1.5% or a little less. Nothing has changed. Crushed it. <laughs> At this time in history, France was not only dealing with the burdens and losses of war, but also with an agricultural system that was extremely outdated. The system utilized throughout the country hadn't really changed much for hundreds of years and thus was producing more like medieval cropping systems than like contemporary systems. And guess whose shoulders the burden of production fell upon? The peasants! Yeah! Incidentally, this failure to adapt to changing conditions and increasing population requirements would later contribute to the French Revolution. Yay! Hey. I love that part. <laughs> Cut their heads off, man. Do it. <laughs> And cake. I do not like an absolute monarch unless he is headless. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I'm just picturing like a headless stump person just sitting in the chair. What do you think, good sir? 
Oh my God, all I can think about right now is that line from Hamilton where he's like, should we honor our treaty, King Louis' head? Uh, do whatever you want, I'm super dead. <laughs> Love it. You might really like the, the creature for this story then and kind of wish that he had gone to Versailles, I think. Oh yes, please. Oh my God, there's gonna be a decapitation. There are gonna be a <laughs> lot of decapitations. Yay! This is like my happy place after a bad week. (laughs) (laughs) At this time in French history, the seat of power was in Versailles, which was located just a few miles outside of Paris in the north of France. That puts the residents of Gévaudan, where our story takes place, about 600 kilometers or approximately 370 miles away from the country's center of power. It was certainly a remote region, far removed from the hustle and bustle of Paris, but it was not entirely disconnected. The Count Bishop of Gévaudan, Gabriel Florent de Choiseul Boupré, was cousin of the Duke Etienne Francois de Choiseul, who just so happened to be the closest minister of the king. Gévaudan, now known as Lozère, was a rural mountainous region in the province of Languedoc, consisting largely of grazing meadows and moors with some wooded areas, though woods occupied less of the territory then than they do today. Then, as now, the region was sparsely inhabited and its people were primarily poor livestock herders who had to contend with disease, food shortages, and wolf attacks just to survive. Like they, These were the poorest of the poor. They were really in bad shape. What you laughing about? I'm sorry, I wasn't ready for wolf attacks to I know. be the end of that list. <laughs> it was just like a hard left and it, it threw me. And wolves. Literally, my next bullet says wolf attacks might seem like a strange thing to throw into the list. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time, it it was really a real threat. According to a paper authored by Jean-Marc Morceau, Morceau? Yes, Morceau. Until the 19th century, France was host to one of Europe's largest wild wolf populations, which was estimated to be between 10 and 15,000 wolves at the close of the 18th century. So they had a lot of wolves. (laughs) I love that you just whispered. In 1762, in a province just east of Languedoc, a young boy was sent out by his parents to tend their sheep in a pasture for the day. When nightfall came, but neither the boy nor the flock had returned, a search party was immediately organized. Unfortunately, only the boy's mutilated remains were found. He had been largely eaten by an unknown beast that had, for some reason, entirely ignored the sheep that were present and had only attacked the boy. Later that same month, a group of shepherds was attacked without casualty, from what I could tell, and a young woman was attacked and killed at the beginning of October. All were believed to have been attacked by the same creature. The abbot of the parish, in which all these attacks occurred, described the beast as, quote, of a very big wolf's size, and its color was a bit brighter than the one of the than the one of the burned coffee, whatever that means. With a black-haired stripe along its back, the stomach was dirty white colored. It had a very big and hairy head, and a tail covered with hair like an ordinary wolf's one, but longer and kept upright at its end. End quote. You motherfuckers, get out of there! So he was fancy. What are you doing, dummy? It's a fancy <sighs> wolf. He's a fancy wolf. Hang on a second. I thought she was going to take her pants off. 
I honestly kind of thought so too, <laughs> and then she didn't, and I was like, all right. What happened to the mug of tea that you had? Oh. There it is. She I has you, it. I thought you were looking for your mug, and you looked very no. confused. I was trying to kill my cats. Not kill. Not kill. <laughs> so the abbot was writing this down, writing this description. This was obviously from people who had survived and seen the creature, so they're relaying it to him, and he's just writing it down for the future. In October of the following year, 1763, a 60-year-old woman was walking home in the evening at sunset when she, too, was attacked. The incident was witnessed by two children who said that her throat had been slashed and the creature fed on her stomach and limbs for a while before eventually running off with her head. Pieces of the victim were found some days later. Not long after, it's believed the same creature was spotted in a region to the southeast where it made several other unsuccessful attacks of young shepherds. Here, too, the livestock were left alone and the creature only attacked people. He doesn't like mutton. Apparently not. <laughs> really gamey. Not everybody likes it. It's an acquired well, taste. I don't think that the, the people were as fatty and delicious as we are now. We'd probably make a better meal these days than those poor peasants did back then. Maybe he likes them tough. It's so chewy. <laughs> Like human jerky. Ew. <laughs> I love how I'm laughing a couple seconds ago at pieces of people, and then you're like human jerky, and that's what grosses me <laughs> out. That's the line. It's because I don't like jerky, to be honest. <laughs> I don't like dehydrated things. This is the climate in which our meal, our story begins. And it also happens to be a good time to take a quick break for refreshment, so bye! Enjoying the meal? Consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple, Podchaser, Good Pods, or Spotify. It's free, and it helps our little restaurant get noticed by others with your spectacularly good taste. If you want to help support the restaurant, you can rock some of our merch from our Tea Public shop or buy us a fresh slice on Buy Me a Coffee, because we can never get enough. If you simply can't get enough pineapple pizza, become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. You can find all the links to our social media, streaming platforms, and support pages in the show notes and on pineapplepizzapodcast.com. That's pineapplepizzapodcast.com. Feeling refreshed and ready for the main course? This is a hearty meal. For years between 1764 and 1767, a deadly wolf-like creature stalked the countryside of southern France in and around the region of Gévaudan. This animal came to be internationally known as La Bête du Gévaudan, or the Beast of Gévaudan. Oh my god, I actually got that right in my brain, and I'm real bad at French. <laughs> I, to be fair, I only had to guess one word. That's true. <laughs> So I did cheat. Bet makes it sound cute. It doesn't sound like beast. No, it doesn't. But I think most things sound slightly less terrifying in French, even though I can't pronounce it. Like when someone who can speak it does, I'm like, oh, that sounds nice. And then it's something awful. Uh, except for Marquis de Sade. You know what that is. And that sounds terrifying. Marquis de Sade. Do you yeah. not like it? Do you not enjoy his works? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> I think it's an acquired taste. <laughs> I find them amusing. <laughs> In 1764, soldiers were returning home to a country humiliated by loss and burdened not only by immense debt, but also by an inability to adequately feed its own people. King Louis XV was most definitely not winning any popularity contests since he was viewed as ineffective and only interested in hunting and womanizing. So it's not hard to imagine how under these circumstances, any events which might distract people from the political climate would quickly be picked up and perpetuated by the press particularly when anything pertaining to politics was largely censored by the crown anyway. Gévaudan was about to make history. In early June of 1764, a young shepherdess was out with her charges in a region just north of Lozère, or Gévaudan, when a large wolf-like animal appeared. For some reason, her flock formed a protective ring around her, and though the creature tried to attack, it was unsuccessful, only managing to rip her clothing. It is postulated that this might be the same animal which later became the Beast of Gévaudan, because it was more interested in attacking the shepherdess and didn't seem to care at all for the easy pickings that her charges would have made. The first official victim of the Beast, however, was Jeanne Boulet, a 14-year-old shepherdess who was attacked and killed on the 30th of June while tending livestock in the region of Gévaudan. Her mutilated remains were not found until the following day, and because she had been unable to make a final confession, she was buried without sacrament, which I can imagine was probably the case for most of these victims. Wow, that's freaking rude, but whatever. Yeah, doesn't that suck? Sorry you got murdered, guess you're going to hell. This is why I don't like life. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, though the record of her death made by the parish priest mentions that she was the victim of the fierce chard. This would suggest that although she is now recognized as the first official victim, she was not believed to be so at the time. So it seems like there was already probably rumor about this beast out there. And he's saying, oh, she was a victim of the, the fierce chard. I'm over here um, just imagining people getting together in a mob and singing the song Kill the Beast from Beauty and the Beast. That's what's <laughs> happening up here right now, just so you know. Several more attacks and deaths followed, and by August, officials were beginning to take notice. Hunts were organized, and people from around the region came to participate. I wonder if they were chanting, kill the beast. Yes, they were, and Gaston was at the head of them, and hopefully he fell to his death. <laughs> <laughs> However, it was quickly realized that these weren't sufficient, so the governor of the province ordered in the military. Do it. Bring them in. Bring in the soldiers. Mm -hmm. Captain Jean-Baptiste Duhamel had fought in the Seven Years' War and had apparently come out the other side with a bruised ego. He seemed yeah. to he seemed to feel the losses <laughs> of the, the country really personally. Like he took the loss of the war a little too personally. Okay, but if that's your only war wound, you can shut the fuck up and get out. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. At least you're alive. Your fragile masculinity. I know. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that in this. Yes! <laughs> I am in such a bad mood, I'm going to shit on all of it. <laughs> there are also a lot of um, heroines in this, so you'll be loving that as well. Nice. Whoa, I was definitely thinking about drugs when you said that, and I was like, oh, maybe calm down on the euphoria. Maybe just <laughs> stop re-watching it. It's getting to be a problem. <laughs> 
It was Jean Baptiste and his 50 men who were ordered to eradicate this beast. Get rid of it. The king doesn't want it anymore. He's kind of getting annoyed. Make the king look better. Make the country proud. So he took this charge very seriously. And at one point he wrote, quote, I sincerely hope that I will be able to announce in my next letter that the monster is no more and that it was the Dragoon Company of His Serene Highness that put it to death. End quote. Nice. What a tool. <laughs> <laughs> well, he used every tool in his belt to trap and kill the creature. He armed and trained peasants to fight like soldiers. He left out poisoned bait. He even had a number of his men cross-dress as women, hoping to trick the beast into showing itself. Um, couple of things. One, Pixar, it didn't happen. Two, <laughs> two, color me not surprised that you were like, I'm gonna train a bunch of peasants and make them do this so that they fucking die instead of my men. You're the worst. <laughs> well, it, to be fair, it was a big, it was a fairly large region, and it was not something that People coming in from the outside were not familiar with the kind of terrain that Gévaudan had. And it poses a problem over and over throughout the whole story that the, the terrain is very difficult for people coming in from outside to manage. So I'm, yeah. I'm not really surprised that he would have trained But I don't, don't want to be fair, though. I don't want to <laughs> be fair. <laughs> I just like that. I like that he decided to dress up a bunch of men as women. Picks. 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 <laughs> <laughs> He did this because most herders at the time were women and children. And so attacks, they kind of seem almost targeted towards people that, rather than livestock. So he decided, you know, it makes sense to dress his people up to look like these herders and try and kind of lure the beast out. It was all in vain, though. And the first real hunt didn't get organized until sometime in November because poor weather had prevented earlier hunts. And this also becomes a recurring theme throughout the research, Bad Weather and Gévaudan. At one point while he was scouting, he claims to have seen the beast, but just as he was raising his gun to fire at it, his man came up from behind him and the beast made a hasty retreat before Duhamel could fire off a single shot. Oh yeah, that's what happened for sure. Totally. For sure. a you problem, mm -hmm. not a bear problem. <laughs> he wrote constantly of his activity and it's it's from this that we know he seemed to think that it was just one creature stalking the countryside in his opinion it was probably a hybrid which he described as part horse part lion part hyena with jaws like a vice and six talons on its paws he also postulated that it might be a large cat of some kind saying that its father was a lion but its mother was who knows what your mom i'm not buying it i'm not buying it <laughs> In January or February of 1765, a large hunt was organized that may have included up to 30,000 men. But they were ultimately unsuccessful in tracking down the creature. By April, Duhamel and his men had been removed from the region. He had been unsuccessful in killing the beast. Attacks and deaths had continued throughout his time in the region. And to top it all off, locals complained of the troops destroying crops and failing to pay for food and housing. So his mission was... At an end. Oh, he didn't get his head cut off. No, he did not. <sighs> But he was uh, very disappointed and kind of humiliated that he wasn't able to get this thing. 
In October of 1764, so we're backing it up a little bit, this is shortly after Duhamel had arrived in the region, a young girl was attacked and killed. Her head wasn't found for several days. Dang. Yeah. This was followed quickly by other attacks on young herders. One was of a young boy who managed to hide between his cows and yell for help. A group of hunters who happened to be nearby heard his call and came to find the beast prowling around trying to find a way to get at him. They fired off two shots, hitting the beast, but it ran off into the woods. Good job, cows! (laughs) (laughs) Way to move it. (laughs) Nice. Five more people were attacked and killed in December, all under Duhamel's watch. Huh? You suck. He's so very good at his job. You're so bad at everything, dude. (laughs) He's like, not again. (laughs) News of the attacks made it into the press starting around October in stories called Faits Divers, or brief news stories, which were used to report on events happening in villages and towns around the country. Since reporting on politics was largely off-limits, reporters turned to these stories to help sell papers, so the Beast of Gévaudan was quickly sensationalized. <laughs> One particular reporter, Francois Morenas, is credited with doing the most to help perpetuate the reputation of the Beast, even going so far as to interview so-called survivors and write about their experiences. We want to hear from the little boy that hid in the cows. <laughs> <laughs> I was utterly terrified. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Nice! John would be so proud. I know. He related the creature to beings from Greek mythology, such as the Hydra, giants, and the Nemean lion. Is it the Nemean? Nemean. Sure. And he was also responsible for spreading the idea that it might be an escaped hyena, possibly explaining its strange appearance, because it was described as kind of like a rust color or tawny, and it had this stripe down its back, and it looked almost like it had a mohawk, kind of. Mm. So they're like, oh, maybe it's kind of a hyena. Okay, did they give it steroids or something then? Because <laughs> a hyena wouldn't look like an oversized wolf. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll get into get into some of the explanations a little bit later, but I, I would agree. Other reports from similar fait divers claimed that the beast was unnaturally swift, had the gaze of a devil, was wily and un- in- and intelligent, intelligent, unkillable, and possibly supernatural. One local paper published the following, quote, A ferocious beast of unknown type coming from who knows where attacks the human species, killing individuals, drinking their blood, feasting on their flesh, and multiplying its carnage from day to day. That's a lot of commas in that sentence. Hunters who are in pursuit have neither been able to stop it because it is more agile than they, nor lure it into their traps because it surpasses them in cunning, nor engage it in combat when it presents itself to them because its terrifying appearance weakens their courage, disturbs their vision, sets their hands shaking, and neutralizes their skill. And empties their bowels. (laughs) (laughs) Wear your brown pants. So this is when wild descriptions of the beast were perpetuated both locally and internationally as stories of it made it all the way to Britain and North America. Like it was all over Europe. There are clippings of it from like Germany and Sweden everywhere. Reports of it being as large as a donkey, bull, or horse and having the cry of a horse, the tail of a lion, the snout of a cow, so probably kind of flattish, rounded, and very long hair circulated freely. 
Other stories were told that it had hooves, its skin could repel bullets, it could walk on its two hind legs, it was able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. No, but it could jump very high. Does it have x-ray vision? <laughs> it does not have x-ray vision. Damn it. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> Is it susceptible to kryptonite? <laughs> not as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I don't think they tried. <laughs> no, but it is susceptible to Lois Lane. It might so. be. Who isn't? I mean, honestly, Amy Adams is beautiful, so yes. I guess just mark me down as susceptible. <laughs> it continually returned from the dead, and it was capable of skillfully removing the heads of victims, then drinking all their blood. Nice. Yes. So this is this is these are just a few of the reports that the the papers were putting out about this creature. It also looked really nice in a red cape. <laughs> it did. I bet it did. With that rust-colored fur, dynamite. Yes. It's not surprising, then, that the church seized upon this opportunity to blame the attacks on the wickedness of man. Oh, we didn't blame it on women immediately? I actually am surprised. Color <laughs> <laughs> well, me shocked. Yeah, right? Especially considering it was mostly women and children who were being attacked. I know, I'm surprised we didn't immediately be like, the women have done something awful again. I bet they ate another apple. <laughs> Those bitches. <laughs> Their fault. Remember the Bishop of Gévaudan, who happened to be the cousin of the king's top minister? Mm-hmm. Yes. So this is where he comes into play. Through a text known as the Mandate of the Bishop of Mandeux, he required all priests in the diocese to appeal to their congregations for prayers and penance. He described the beast as a divine plague or scourge sent by God to punish men for their sins. But he's punishing, you know, the average Joe. He's not punishing the people over there in Versailles who are just sending it up like crazy. So much debauchery. I feel like his argument is flawed on at least 20 different levels, but yeah. that's fine. Yeah. He just likes poor people. It's fine. Religion does not need logic. I should know this by now. <laughs> God. <laughs> As God strikes you down. Don't use my name like that. Don't oh, come me. on. Come at me. <laughs> I've been me. waiting for 1,501 years. <laughs> <laughs> Around this same time, the palace started to take notice of what was occurring in Gévaudan. Louis, knowing his popularity was suffering, saw this as an opportunity to improve it by appearing concerned for his people. Oh, not that he actually was, of course. No. Not to mention, news of the story had made it to Britain, where the king was being mocked mercilessly as incapable, incapable of protecting his own people. From a dog. From yep, a giant dog. A giant hyena dog from mm-hmm. hell <laughs> that punishes poor people. Yeah, so there were, like, stuff that was in the newspaper there would show the beast being frightened by a kitten, and then all the French soldiers in the background were, like, running away or they were dead. Well, you know, the British and the French do hate each other, so it works out. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So the king's like, no, they're hurting my feelings. So he resolved to send hunters to the region and offered a huge reward for whomever could kill the beast. I couldn't find the exact amount, and it seems like maybe uh, it grew over time, because accounts ranged from 2,000 to 9,000 livres. So that's a lot 
of money. I tried to convert that into modern US dollars, but the only way it would do it was converting it into gold dollars, which isn't quite yeah, the same. I, I, yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. That's why I didn't do it either when I did the uh, man in the iron mask. I was like, fuck it, I can't do this. It's yeah. Not working. yeah. Just but leave it, it. It was a lot. Just before the king sent his first pair of hunters in January of 1765, so this is when Duhamel is still there, the beast struck again. This time it attacked a group of children. Severin children. Severin, Robert? Severin. Severin. <laughs> Severin children were foisted into the air. <laughs> eat, eat. Seven children between the ages of eight and twelve, five boys and two girls, equipped with pikes for protection. For, so, well, okay, so you got to remember the beast was already like a thing at this point and people were scared. So people were going out in groups to do their herding and they were arming themselves. So most likely the pike, the pikes that the kids had were just like poles with something sharp at the end, like a, a, a some kind of blade just fastened us to the spoon. end. A flat spoon. <laughs> yes, like a flat spoon. <laughs> it's still really funny. Like... It's okay, little... Oh, wait, I can't use Jimmy because they're French. It's okay, little Pierre. You can go out and play with your friends. Just take this fucking weapon with you. It'll be fine. (laughs) It will never end poorly for kids with having weapons, right? You should definitely carry a pointy stick with a blade on the end of it. (laughs) I wasn't even allowed to, like, have safety scissors, like, unsupervised, but that's fine. Well... Yeah, I mean, they're still kids, but probably they were uh, hopefully a little more familiar with using blades back in that day than our kids would be now. Well, you know, they have to murder each other to survive because they're peasants. Oh, God. This is like the Hunger Games of 1765. (laughs) There's little LeFou in the back with his trident. hiding behind Gaston, who's fighting with actual antlers that he ripped off of a fucking deer. Okay, so these these seven kids, they're out in a meadow. They had been out there herding their cattle, and that's when the beast made its appearance. The children circled to protect themselves, and I was listening to Astonishing Legends, and they had some kind of source that said it was almost like the, the kids did like a military formation where the oldest kids were in the front and then it was the girls and then it was the youngest kids in the back kind of thing. Yeah, they like did 300 a because yeah. they're totally fucking trained soldiers. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but whatever. They just smushed into a goddamn group because they were afraid. Yes. Stop it. Yep. <laughs> they were not Spartan soldiers. <laughs> so the beast attacked. And it was able to tear a chunk from one child's cheek. Like, it took a whole chunk out of this kid's uh, face. You know, the cheeks are the best part, apparently. They, yeah. I mean, Source, Hannibal Lecter. Both sets of cheeks. I was going to say, above and below. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they like the, they, he likes the cheeks, man. Nice and fleshy. Bites them right <laughs> out of your face. So flashy. Nothing like a, rum ro- a rump roast, that's what I always say. <laughs> The children fought the beast with their pikes, and they managed to kind of fight it back. But it lunged again and grabbed one of the boys by the arm. Again, the children tried to fight it, but the beast made a run for the woods, dragging the boy with it. Oh, that's not what I thought was going to happen. Several of the kids were like, um, okay, peace. (laughs) They saw this as their opportunity to just GTFO. But young Jacques Poitifay 
Only ten at the time rallied them to pursue the beast. No, fucking run. God. They chased it into a swampy area where it became stuck, and then they attacked it with their pikes. This reminded me of your story a little bit, Ash, about running and about the dogs in the swamps and stuff. So they attack it with their pikes, and they eventually got the beast to let go of the captured child, and they were able to kind of hold it at bay until several men arrived, having been alerted by the cries. So once these men arrived, the beast beat a hasty retreat. It was like, nope, I'm cool. And then Jacques was hailed as a hero. Um, can I just admit right now that when you told me this reminded you of my story, I couldn't remember my own story. And then I was like... <laughs> Oh my god, what was my story about? And then it finally popped back in my brain. (laughs) Nice. I'm so scared. It's not going to come back. (laughs) Oh no. I was just picturing the kids like screaming while they're stabbing the creature. And that's the cries that brought them to... What do you think they said? I don't know. Merd! Merd! (laughs) (laughs) I totally pictured it like that scene from uh, Shaun of the Dead when they're in the um, the pub at the end and they're beating the one guy over the head with the pool yeah. sticks to, to Queen. <laughs> Just yeah. Like that. I'm into that. Jacques was hailed as a hero. Hearing of the child's bravery and seizing his opportunity for favorable publicity, Louis XV rewarded the children. He paid Jacques 300 livres livre, and gave the rest of the children an additional 300 to 350, depending on the source, to split amongst themselves. He also made sure that Jacques received a formal education at the king's expense. So Jacques would eventually go on to become a lieutenant in the French army, eventually passing away of illness in 1785. So he was only like 30 or 33, kind of depending on which source you looked at, but he was pretty young. He didn't live a whole lot longer. That group of children did a better job than that fucking French guy (laughs) with his 50 men. Yep, yep. (laughs) Eat that, dude. (laughs) By March, the king's first hired hunter had arrived in Gévaudan. It was the great Norman hunter, oh my god, this name, Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Vomel Danaval. That's quite a name. Yes. Reputed to have killed more than 1,200 wolves in his career. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Upon his arrival, accompanied by his son, they immediately threw their dicks on the table and said, we are the only ones that have the right to hunt here. (laughs) So they requested and were granted the dismissal of Captain Duhamel. Lindsay's broken. Look at my pea shooter. Get out of here, punks. (laughs) I said scram. Here's my dick. I'm more of a man than you. I'm more of a hunter than you'll ever be, Duhamel. Duhamel's like, oh, it's cold. It's winter, man. Can't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I almost shot it that one time that I didn't actually see it at all, and I made that up, but you don't know. Even though he was a hunter, a great hunter, he took an awfully long time getting ready to search for the beast. So this is Danival, or I think that's how he's... Duh, I don't know. It's French. This might be because winters in Gévaudan were notoriously brutal, and he probably wanted to wait for more favorable weather. Why, you wuss? (laughs) (laughs) This delay meant that he was very quickly shown up by the bravery of a local woman who became famous in her own right. 
Okay, this is my favorite story ever now. <laughs> I thought you would like this story. Show them all up. Fragile masculinity for the loss, as always. <laughs> On March 13th or 14th, shortly after the arrival of the King's Hunter, Jean Jou would make French history. According to the Bishop of Munde, mother of six children in her seventh year of a weak and thin build, she had three of her little children around her at about noon. She was withdrawing towards the house and was already at the garden gate, a little boy of six in front of her, and at her side a girl of nine or ten years old who carried in her arms a little brother of about 14 months. I love how they don't know how old the kids are. It's typical. They're like, I, I. she had seven kids at this point. She's like, I don't know. She was born sometime around here. My God, her poor, poor body. Yeah, right? I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. She heard a stone fall from her garden wall and turned to see her daughter being attacked by the beast. The daughter held her little brother tightly, trying to protect him, and Jean threw herself upon the beast to do anything in her power to save her children. The beast let the daughter go, and Jean covered her daughter and baby with her own body, but the beast just beelined for a new target, the six-year-old boy. I was going to say the other kids. Yep. Jean fought valiantly to save her son, whom the beast had taken in its mouth by his head. Ooh. Yeah. An extended fight ensued, and I kind of picture... It's terrible because it's a sad story, but I picture this, like, uh, Peter Griffin and the chicken, the big rooster, the way they fight. Mm -hmm. An extended fight ensued, and she chased it out of the yard as she tried to get it to release her son. The beast eventually, still holding the child, ran into a field where two of Jeanne's other sons happened to be herding. They and their mastiff attacked it until it finally tossed the little boy aside. The poor little boy goes running into his mother's arms, and he's just bloody everywhere. His nose and his skin on his face had been completely torn off. Ew! There, there was nothing left of his nose. The poor child lived six days like that until he finally passed away. Oh. Yeah. Jean was also rewarded 300 livres by the king, which is probably small consolation for the loss of a child, and she was also hailed as a hero. It was not until the end of April 1765, so a month after the attack on Jean and her children, that the hunters finally launched their first attack. So they're like, yeah. Yeah. They just sat around doing nothing. In May, there was there were several more sightings, attacks, and deaths, leaving behind devoured bodies and headless corpses. So time and time again, it's talking about having entrails ripped out, things just being shredded to pieces, and heads not ever being found. At this point, Louis was getting annoyed with with the Dianavals because they hadn't succeeded in in uh, killing the beast, and it was making him look bad to the world. <laughs> So, in June of 1765, they were replaced by the king's own gun bearer, Francois Antoine. His name's easier to say. Oh my god, who cares about the dead children? My reputation! Yep. So he sends his personal gun bearer, the 71-year-old Francois, who arrived with his son, eight, camp eight captains of the royal guard, and some bloodhounds. In early July, he and his team arrived at the site of an attack that had occurred only two days before in which another cowherder had been killed. At the scene, he did a little bit of detective work. He was like, I'm, I'm the future Sherlock, even though he's ancient. You wish. You wish. 
He's like, I'm old. I've been around here a little while. <laughs> yeah. I've seen things. Oh, no shit. <laughs> Why does he sound like a hillbilly, you might ask? Because I can't do a French accent, and we all know that. <laughs> I've seen merde. So at the scene, he noticed two sets of tracks, which looked like they were from a large male and perhaps a, a female. So he concluded that the beast had a mate and may have even possibly reproduced at this point. If you have a mate, you're probably making babies. Unless you're in trouble with said mate. <laughs> it did not take long for Francois to realize that the terrain of Gévaudan was far harsher than any he'd been in before, and though hunting parties were organized, he wasn't having a whole lot of luck. On August 11th, 1765, the day he'd organized a big hunt, he too had been shown up by the bravery of a local woman. Good. These guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> Marie-Jean Vallée and her younger sister were crossing a river bridge that day when they were attacked by what was described as an unusually large dog. When it reared up for the attack, Marie-Jean used a homemade pike she'd constructed from a pole and a bayonet to stab the beast in the chest. She was like, Whoa. Fuck yeah. In her sworn testimony, she said that the beast raised a paw to the wound, then rolled off the bridge into the water below, which to me sounded so anthropomorphic. Yeah. You stabbed me. Yeah, it's just like, ew. And then it does like a barrel roll <laughs> up into the water. Barrel. <laughs> she was commended for her bravery and became known as the Amazon or the Maid of Gévaudan. And there's now a statue in Auvers commemorating her bravery, which is pretty cool. Sick. It's, it's her like standing there with the pike and the beast is all reared up and she's got the pike in its chest. It's pretty cool looking. Francois did not believe the beast had been killed, however, so he continued to search for it until finally, at the end of September, he chased down a large wolf and shot it, its mate and one of its pups. At least one of its pups. They shot at another one, but they're not sure that they got it. A few locals identified it as the beast based on scars present on its body, so they're like, this is definitely what we saw, this is what attacked us. Uh, so the animal was stuffed and sent to Versailles to be displayed. There, there was, like, um an autopsy that was done on the body and there wasn't anything unusual found inside of the stomach, but they're like, bah, this is the beast. So they sent it off to Versailles. When it was received at the court, everyone thought it just kind of looked like a big wolf and they weren't really that impressed. Uh, they, it was like nothing special, but the king lauded Francois' success, awarded him titles and paid him a handsome sum of 9,000 livres. So yay, the beast was finally dead, right? No, it's no, not. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. Attacks resumed two months later in December of that year, but the king had entirely lost interest. His hunter had killed the beast. This must be something else, and the locals could handle it on their own. Even the newspapers had stopped reporting on the attacks, and the residents of Gévaudan were left to defend themselves. So it's kind of like, uh, I, from what I was getting out of some of the websites that I was reading through, it seems almost like the newspapers were trying to save face. They'd already published that the thing was dead, so they're not going to report that, wait a minute, it's still around, because mm -hmm. it wouldn't be embarrassing to admit that they didn't know what they were talking about. And so they were just like, no, it's not happening. Nothing exists. Look over here. Yeah. 
The attacks continued for another year and a half with dozens more fatalities until finally in July 1767, local hunter Jean Chastain shot and killed a large wolf with a monstrous head and a red, white, and gray coat. An autopsy was performed on this creature too, and it was said to have the teeth of a dog and a belly full of human remains. Ugh. So they were, they were pretty sure they got it at this point. The body was taken to Versailles, but it seems like it must have been probably poorly preserved following the autopsy because by the time it got there, it was rotten oh. <laughs> and nobody wanted to look at it. They were like, nope. And they, they burned it. They just got rid of that thing and they disposed of it. Not surprising. Aw, I wanted to see yeah. a bad taxidermy job. Those are so funny. Speaking of antlers and bad taxidermy job, boy, do I have a story by the slice that I'm working on for you. I think you guys will like it. Yay. Uh, after this, there were no more reported deaths. The beast was gone at last, having killed an estimated 50 to 300 or more people, mostly women and children. And it kind of depends on uh, whether you're looking at a specific, like if you're looking directly within Javadon, there are regions around it that the beast was reported to if you look at different time frames. But uh, yeah, 50 to 300 people were attacked. Uh, at least half of them were killed. But I'm sure that that paled in comparison to the fragile egos that were shattered. And it paled in comparison to the number of wolves that were killed in pursuit of the beast. Yeah. They went out and just slaughtered wolves to try and stop this, which is really sad and you know, it really put um, just another bad reputation for wolves out there, which is, they're just animals doing what animals do. But we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with dessert. Uh, oh my god, John, were you up on Wikipedia all night? John, are you okay? You're, you're shaking. You guys, you will not believe what I just read on Wiki. Welcome to Reddit on Wiki, the poorly researched, semi-funny podcast on random stuff we find on the internet. Who, who are you talking to? And why are you shaking so much? Subscribe to Reddit on Wiki on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sean, I'm scared. Me too, buddy. Me too. I hope you're still hungry after all that because I have dessert ready to go. Mm. So what could possibly explain this beast? Theories have included werewolves, rabid wolves, dog-wolf hybrids, serial killers, and escaped exotic animals. So we're going to kind of just slowly go through all these, I guess. But just piece by piece, because how else are we going to do this? It's a lot of different options. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, the... Uh, Cryptozoologists have had their own theories about whether this was some strange, previously undescribed species, whatever. Yeah. So werewolves were a huge part of French lore for several hundred years, so it's easy to see why this might be an assumption, why people might have jumped to it even at that time. It's possible that this belief in the existence of werewolves helped to fuel some of the wild descriptions reported in the papers. Though these might have been more related to creative license of the authors, simply because they're looking to sell papers, right? Mm -hmm. Want people make stuff up? <laughs> yeah, people in uh, 18th century France make stuff up? No. Never heard of Never. it. Never. 
It would be easy for readers in urban populations to believe that people from the rural backwoods of Gévaudan would be superstitious. However, most of the actual witness accounts describe something that was wolf-like, but didn't seem to possess any like supernatural, unnatural powers. It was just a big canid that targeted people. It wasn't until the papers picked stuff up that it started to get supernatural powers, but it didn't seem like people in the region actually said that in any of their documented um, descriptions of, of what happened. It's just a big old dog. Yeah. Regardless, this theory has been popularized because stories came out shortly after the beast was killed. Uh, they claimed that Jean Chastel had used a silver bullet made from a coin bearing the image of the Virgin Mary to finally bring it down. An escaped exotic animal might explain the unusual appearance in terms of color of the fur and or like the tufted tail that kind of looked like a lion's tail. Uh, striped hyenas, for example, would have looked like strange dogs and locals wouldn't have been familiar with them. However, they're generally not very aggressive animals. They tend to be scavengers, and they also like to hunt at night. While it seems like most of these attacks occurred during daylight hours, people were out herding. They're not doing that at night. They're doing that during the day. Yeah. Another potential exotic animal might be an adolescent male lion whose coloring and tail might be closer to what some witnesses had described. So uh, before adolescent male lions, before they grow their big mane, It's short, but it can kind of look like a mohawk, and it looks darker down their back than on the rest of the body. So the coloration's kind of there. You can kind of get an idea. But lions definitely look feline, and nearly all witnesses said it had a distinct wolf or dog appearance. It was really only Duhamel who said that, hey, it's like a, a lion and something else mixed together. Furthermore, menageries and private exotic animal collections were popular at the time, but from what I could tell, there weren't any reports of escaped animals, so it probably wasn't an exotic animal. They're not just going to be wandering around the the countryside. Plus, if we're talking about something from Africa, like an adolescent lion or a striped hyena, it's probably not going to handle those cold Gévaudan winters too well. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you could really say that that's traipsing around in the backwoods there and managing to survive through those cold winters if it's not accustomed to that. It's possible that it happened to be a hybrid between a wolf and a dog. It was reported to have unusual coloring and the final animal killed was said to have teeth that more closely resembled a dog's. Such hybrids aren't unheard of. I mean, we've all heard of people who have a like a half dog, half wolf. Mm-hmm. And it might explain why the animal was more likely to attack humans than livestock. Wolves know their prey. They're not likely to go attacking humans. They're going to go for an easy kill. So attacking humans isn't in their normal behavior unless they're protecting themselves or their cubs, or if they happen to be rabid. So perhaps a rabid wolf. This was a known problem in the wolf population of France. However, there weren't any reports of survivors contracting the disease after the attack, so this is probably another dead end. They knew what rabies did to people then. It it would have been reported that people went on and died from rabies. There were also rumors that it was all the work of a serial killer. Which would explain why it only attacked humans and never the livestock. Like, was it walking around in fur? Uh, I don't know. It was believed that either Chastel 
the man who finally ended the terror, or one of his sons was a serial killer who had used a trained dog to throw people off the trail, or that they'd simply trained dogs to do the work for them. So there was talk about maybe somebody had armored their dogs, and that's why the bullets bounced off of it. It's an armored war dog. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Tito the Tank. Episode 47 of the podcast, The French Chronicles, does a really good job of going down that alley, the serial killer alley, and exploring the arguments behind the theory. So if you if you want to learn more about it, I'd suggest listening to their episode. For this meal, however, I didn't want to go too far down that because it's not really what we do. Uh, I'm just going to sum it up and say that they're really, they that wasn't a popular family. And it appears that there really isn't any kind of solid evidence to support the rumors surrounding them as serial killers. Not to mention none of the survivors mentioned seeing anyone else present during the attacks. So to say that it was somebody killing them, wouldn't you notice if it was a person attacking you and not the dog? Mm -hmm. Or if there was somebody nearby ordering the dog, you'd probably hear voices. Like you would have to, you would think that there would be some evidence of that. The most reasonable explanation is really the simplest. It was just wolves, or perhaps wolf packs. According to researcher Jean-Marc Morceau, although attacks increased a bit during this period of the Beast of Gévaudan, it wasn't statistically significant, meaning it wasn't out of the expected normal range for attacks. Uh, Okay. So there could be a few reasons for why the wolves would have been attacking. Unlike today, the region's woods had been pretty well cut back to use for firewood and create grazing pastures, so it's not nearly as wooded then as it is now. Not to mention the French population was growing pretty quickly, so both of those factors could have caused an encroachment on the habitat of the wolves. Also, I looked into to see whether winters were particularly harsh during that period, because it was during the period of uh, the Little Ice Age. But okay. it looks but it looks like there wasn't anything too bad in that time to to maybe suggest that they were going they didn't have other food sources. But that would that would be my guess is that maybe they were desperate for food and so they were just attacking. Regardless, the story of La Bête de Gévaudan has fascinated people for generations and inspired pop culture for 200 years. It has popped up in documentaries, TV shows, and movies, inspired several books and music. Probably the most famous pop culture reference is the 2001 French film, The Brotherhood of the Wolf, which revolved around the more fanciful theories of the beast. Have you guys ever seen that? No. Mm -mm. It's a wild ride. It's a good movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I highly recommend it. You can get it on Amazon, so go check it out. But uh, uh, it was dark. It's dark, but it's a good movie. And they really do a good job of bringing in the historical pieces into this kind of more fantasy version of what happened. Nice. Today, if you visit the region, there are loads of sculptures and museums to visit. There's a wolf sanctuary erected to kind of help dispel some of the myths and fear surrounding wolves. There are also tours of all the important locations and ways to immerse yourself in the experience that gripped a region for three long, deadly years. And that is the story of La Bête du Gévaudan. I liked it. I did, too. I am a bad person for how much I laughed, but I apologize (laughs) for nothing. I have a ridiculously long list of ingredients. Like, it's seriously so long that I'm not going to read them off, but all of the links will be included. It's probably like 20 different sources. So, uh, because I was pulling from everywhere that I possibly could to get the best history on this. 
But I was reading through some of these pages and they were talking about how there wasn't only a beast in France. There were, in the early 1800s, there were some in like Germany. There was one that terrorized and killed a whole bunch of people, like 100 people in Great Britain in the early 1800s. So it wasn't just France. And uh, some of the accounts described a creature that looked just like what they had experienced in Gévaudan. So... I, I mean, it most likely was just a gray wolf. Dire wolf. Yeah, that was another one. That was dire wolf was one of the things that people had said. But what did you guys think? What do you think the beast of Gévaudan was? Just a big wolf. I don't know. Best get my out of the theories we did. I think my best guess would be a dog wolf hybrid. Yeah, and that's entirely possible too. People would have been breeding animals especially for hunts so maybe it would have made sense for somebody who lived back there to or dogs were released and they bred in the wild potentially mm-hmm. could happen yeah which would explain why the the snouts looked a little bit different or why people couldn't place it specifically as a wolf or a dog but wolves were so common and wolf attacks were so incredibly common that people would have known that they were looking at a wolf. And that's been one of the biggest arguments for why it might not have been, is that they should have recognized it as a wolf. But they kind of did. Because mm-hmm. they said it looks like a wolf. But it was really big. And why did it go for me instead of my sheep? Yeah, that's weird. I think that's the biggest thing that bothers yeah. me about it. If they... Like, yeah, we could say the wolves didn't have, like, were running low on other sources of food and they were just desperate. But I'm like, there were all those sheep and cattle right there. Right. That would have been way easier to take some sheep Mm -hmm. from a child. (laughs) Like, I don't know. Well, and probably, ultimately, herders would have let them run off with a sheep or two here and there. Yeah, because you can't defend all of them if you can keep the rest of the sheep. It's like, well, let it take what it can get and I'll keep the rest of my flock. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. It is weird to think that it was only attacking people and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because that's really not in the nature of dogs or wolves. That's to, not to, to, wolf-like. No, that's why they thought maybe it was rabid because rabid animals will just attack whatever's close by. But then even so, it should still be attacking some of the livestock. It's a good one. I don't know. The biggest thing I have against, that's the other part that you said about how none of the survivors contracted rabies. Mm -hmm. Like, they would have. And rabies has such, like, specific symptoms. Like, hey, how come little Jean-Pierre is terrified of water Mm -hmm. now? He has fucking rabies. Mm -hmm. They would know. (laughs) There's actually a theory that um, rabies contributed to the rise in belief of werewolves people being bitten by rabid wolves that would survive and then turn around and start becoming like losing their minds yeah it's the theory that that might have actually been the origin of belief in werewolves of course we know that's not true in ireland but or some other places where we've discussed werewolves but it makes sense at least in some of the regions that had to deal with rabid animals I could see that, like, being a thing you do, like, totally lose your shit, so. Yep. So I know I kind of cut the the theories at the end a little short there. I could have dug into those a lot deeper, but I figured this story was the really fun part here. But Uh, I guess do we have anything good we want to share before we close up the restaurant for the night? 
everybody's like, nope, we all have shit news. <laughs> I can share something spooky. Oh, yeah, sure. Go for it. So ever since I was a guest on Homespun Haints, um, none of really weird things. Well, they're kind of weird. Things have been happening around my house. Like I was trying to find nail polish the other night and like no matter where I looked, I could not find nail polish anywhere when usually we keep them in this like blue bin underneath the sink in the girl's bathroom. Couldn't find anything anywhere. And then all of a sudden the next day they were literally everywhere. Like there was just nail polish just everywhere I turned. And I was like, that's really weird. And every single day at some point, my clock gets messed up. Like the time is messed up. And I had just changed the battery. That's weird. It's a little creepy. Yep. Is it the same time every day? Mm-mm. No? Nope. I just picture some spirit like tra-la-lawing through your house, throwing out, just chucking. <laughs> <laughs> your nail polish was like, oh! Like the <laughs> Easter bunny or like a flower girl just throwing out <laughs> bottles of nail polish. She's going to think she's losing her mind. Ha ha. ha. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think I finally thought of something. It's kind of like a nice midpoint between a good thing and something spooky. So I feel like this works. I'm sorry that my life is so boring that my things are always TV shows because it's a TV <laughs> show again. But you know what? You're just going to have to accept it. I don't like people and I live like a shut in. Sorry, guys. <laughs> But I just started watching last week a brand new show on Apple TV+. Plus. It's called Severance, and it stars Ooh. Adam Scott, who I have a massive fucking crush on. That's Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec, in case you're not cool. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, international and don't know American actors, obviously. Um, but it's really, it's a really disturbing topic so that's why i feel like it's also spooky so only two episodes have been out well i think the third episode came out today but i didn't get to watch it yet for obvious reasons because we're recording right after i got off work pretty much but <laughs> the first two episodes are really good but the premise of the show is that we have developed the technology and it's being used by corporations to sever your work self from your personal self so that you can't access your personal memories while you're on work time and be, I guess, distracted by having any kind of fucking life whatsoever. Uh, and you can't access your work memories on the outside, which I can only assume the it has to be a nefarious purpose. Like, they're obviously doing something really right. fucked up in there and they don't want anybody to know about it. Yeah. But I've only gotten through two episodes so far and it's really good, but it's really messed up. <laughs> and I, I'm into it because I'm also really messed up as a person. I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I did see the ads for that one and it looks really good. Yeah, the first episode is a little rough because I'll be honest with you. I didn't totally know the premise when I started watching it. I just knew that there was a new Apple show and then it had Adam Scott. And I was like, I'm going to fucking watch this. <laughs> I made it like two minutes in and I had to pause it. I was like, I'm going to have to Google this because I don't fucking understand what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> like this woman just wakes up on a table and doesn't know who she is. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's actually really, really good. Nice. 
So I don't know if I have anything good. I was uh, <laughs> recently exposed to COVID with a very close contact, somebody who I have a lot of personal time with. So we're recording this a little earlier than planned, just in case I get sick and can't record a little later. But uh, the one bonus, I guess, is if I get COVID, I get a really long spring break because I'm like, <laughs> I have one more week of classes oh until my God. spring break. <laughs> so the bright side is I won't have to go down to school. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side, right? <laughs> Do you guys like Monty Python? Or yes. No? Okay. Always look on the bright side of life. life. I can't whistle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I fucking love that song so much. I guarantee I'm listening to that while I'm cooking dinner after we're done here. I guarantee. Earbuds are gonna go in both ears, not just one. I'm gonna listen to that song because I fucking love it. You just you guys have just made yet another reference to the story by the slice that I have ready for you guys. We are crushing it by accidentally referencing a thing we don't know anything about. I'm proud of us. Also, can I just throw out there that if anyone in any way affiliated with Apple TV listens to this podcast, just fucking sponsor us because I'm giving you a ton of plugs all the time. Please, please, please. All the time. Also, Pineapple Pizza Podcast. That's right. Yep. It's just fucking perfect. Just do it. It works so well. Make my lifetime. Well, I think on that awesome and very well played note, we are going to close up the restaurant for the night. Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a slice of... Fuck, I forgot to change it again. (laughs) A slice... No, just leave it like that. A slice of fuck, I forgot to change it again. (laughs) All right, there we go. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? (laughs) 